Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Let's get on to this counterfactual narrative that you have written about. You can find it at City Journal. I believe it's cityjournal.org. Um, yeah, cityjournal.org. So you can check that out. And again, I'm speaking with Heather McDonald. Go out and get her new book, When Race Trumps Merit, uh, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence Destroys Beauty and Threatens Lives. And I love the cover, by the way, too, just sleek and clean. So I love that. Uh, but knocking on the door while black, existing while black, uh, you spoke about this case, Ralph Yarl, and there's some new cases I want to speak to you about too, Heather. But uh, Ralph Yarl, 16 year old, uh, it, uh, it, from all from all indications, he appears to be a solid young kid, but he made a horrible mistake, in my opinion. You go to someone's door at night, and you, he went to this guy's Andrew Lester's home. Andrew Lester, 84 years old, who knows, probably suffering from dementia. I have two, uh, uh, an in-law parent and and my dad that are suffering uh, with the beginning stages of that uh, Parkinson's for my dad. They see hallucinations. Uh, People don't put this stuff into account. I don't know if that's Andrew Lester's case. Someone comes to your door at night. Um, I I, got to be honest with you, Heather. Somebody comes to my door at night. I'm that age. I'm scared. Uh, I, it, it, it might be the same, it might be the same end. Right. Um, this is, should not be seen as a race issue, but the left immediately made this all about white homeowner shoots black, uh, knocking on the door well black. In the meantime, we had a whole set of other, uh, trespass shootings where the racial configuration of victim and Shooter uh, did not match up to the preferred left-wing narrative, uh, white on white, black on black. In none of those shootings did the media ever reveal the race of the shooter uh, and the victim. Only with the Ralph Yarl, Andrew Lester case, did it infallibly say black victim, uh, white white homeowner. Uh, because that's the only allowable narrative that is so counterfactual, Carl, as you well know. The reason that blacks die of homicide at elevated rates recently in the wake of the what the Journal of American Medical Association calls the, the coronavirus pandemic, and I'm going to translate that for your for your viewers, Carl. It's in the wake of the George Floyd race riots when when the police backed Man, off of constitutional point. policing Here's what the the homicide disparity is. Black juveniles die of gun homicide at 100 times the rate of white juveniles. Whoa. Whoa. Say say that. Say that again, please. I I was not aware of that. I don't know how I've missed that. You said 100 times more. I know how you've missed it, Carl, because the, the media will not cover these shootings. There are drive. There are dozens of drive by shootings killing blacks every single day that never get covered. Juveniles, 17 and younger, since the George Floyd race riots, black juveniles die of gun homicide at a hundred times the rate of whites. And who's killing them? Not the police, not whites, but other blacks. If any of those had been killed by whites, we would have heard about it. But the media, it's, it's an extraordinary thing, Carl, You would have thought, you know, if we looked at this before we knew anything about the world and you said, "Okay, I'm going to be a civil rights activist 
am I going to stand up for black criminals or black victims? Mm. I would have thought they would have stood up for black victims, but the, the, the civil rights activists stand up for black criminals. Uh, and that's why we have this phony narrative that it is whites that are threatening black lives, not black kids who have not been socialized by a two parent family uh, and learn to, to restrain their impulses. Uh, you know, it, it, this this gets so frustrating, and I, I have to I have to ask the question: at at one point, or do you ever in your studies do you see blacks, just good good American blacks that are living in some of these neighborhoods that are just like, hey, we're sick of this crap. We know that this narrative is just fake. Um, but I, I don't hear enough of those voices. You always hear the, what I call big perm, Al Sharpton and Benjamin Crump. You hear these voices, but you don't hear the blacks that are being victimized and saying, hold up, wait a minute. It, it, it isn't white people that are coming in and executing us. It's, 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 it's our own people. It frustrates me to no end that you'll, uh, I'll get called the Uncle Tom and all this and that. And I'm like, no, nah, actually, I'm the one that's sharing information that'll save your life. Do you get any blacks out there? Are you seeing them? Are you seeing a growing number of blacks that are saying this is bull crap? Well, I'm certainly seeing them, and I've made a point, Carl, of in my reporting of giving voice to those good, hardworking people that live in high-crime neighborhoods that want the police, that love the police, that beg for more police protection, the people that CNN never hears, New York Times never hears. They are out there. I mean, I remember a, a being at a police community meeting in the 41st Precinct in the South Bronx and an elderly lady in a fantastic hat getting up. And out of nowhere, apropos of nothing, saying, how lovely when we see the police, they are my friends. Wow. Those people deserve to be able to live free from fear. That having been said, Carl, it is the case that there are also people in the black community that for whatever reason, and I, I sort of understand not wanting to be the target of outside criticism or, or being publicly self-critical, that do continue to vote for the racial victimology narrative. And we saw that most recently and most depressingly in Chicago with the runoff election between Brandon yes. Johnson and Paul Vallis. And the, point. The, the precincts that voted most consistently for Brandon Johnson, the anti-cop activist, were in the south side and west side, the highest crime precincts. So uh, there's many voices out there. I'm, I'm sure you've been in contact with Sheila and Kendall Quarles in Minnesota, they're like yourself. Well, I, I recommend that you you track them down and have them on uh, Q-U-A-R-L-E-S. They are absolutely eloquent like you are in, in support of personal responsibility, uh, two-parent families, raising kids with a respect for the law. On, I mean, unbelievable. You know, to to your point on to your point on Chicago, I watched this video a couple of weeks ago, Heather, and there was a black woman. There was a if, if you recall the story of a couple or a few weeks ago, these teens just destroying downtown Chicago, wreaking havoc all over the place. They beat up on this young uh, interracial couple. Uh, there is a black woman that actually steps in, grabs these kids, has these kids get inside of her car, takes them to safety. Uh, and she said the video that we saw was actually the latter part of uh, of the attack. Apparently, there was another lady around uh, getting attacked that the young black man that happened to be dating a young white woman 
was trying to protect that lady, said something. And so they ended up beating him up and his girlfriend up. Uh, un, uh, I mean, unbelievable. But the fascinating thing, I watched this interview with this woman to the end, and she was a black woman, really nice lady, spiritual lady. Apparently, she had voted for Lori Lightfoot, and I'm assuming uh, the, uh, the the new uh, uh, mayor-elect, uh, Brandon Johnson, and and when she took them to the police uh, station and told them what had transpired, they said they couldn't do anything because of the laws or policies or whatever, and she said she was absolutely shocked. There was a disconnect. This was a yep. good woman, but there was a disconnect where she didn't realize the policies that she was voting for was, was, uh, were responsible for the chaos that she was seeing in the street. Well, that's true of practically every American voter. You know, this is not a South Side problem. People are not connected to the news. It's very few people that are actually interested in public affairs. So I'm not going to single her out, but it is absolutely the case. Uh, and But, of course, I mean, the Chicago Tribune does a pretty good job of covering crime, actually. They do cover the shootings. But uh, it would be hard if you're, say, reading the New York Times – uh, to understand what Lightfoot and, and other progressive prosecutors like Kim Fox in Chicago or Alvin Bragg in New York are doing. But it is incumbent on you. I mean, if you if if you have these shootings in your neighborhood and I mean, it is just stunning. It is stunning. America turns its eyes away. Uh, it does not want to look at black victims because they are being killed overwhelmingly by by black perpetrators and we have this phony narrative that it is whites that are threatening blacks uh and the result is more black victims these these heartbreaking in 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 kansas city you know we had a benjamin crump step in and this whole thing of oh now we have existing while black and knocking on the door while black and this bathos that came out about how oh it's and biden President Biden jumps in about how, again, black parents have to fear for their children. Uh, where were these activists when black children, one-year-old, two-year-olds, Tyron Patton, one-year-old, gunned down in 2020, Legend Telefero, four-year-old black child, gunned down in 2020, nobody said their names. The the double standards and the hypocrisy is absolutely uh, nauseating and tragic. It's, it, it is amazing to me. And again, I'm speaking uh, to Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute. Go out and get her new book, When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellent, uh, Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. Uh, you can see it here on camera. It's a very beautiful book. Although, uh, although Gabe, you're going to be a little frustrated with me. I forgot to turn on one of my podcast lights. So if I look a, a little darker than <laughs> usual, <laughs> that might be the reason. <laughs> Sometimes crazy stuff goes on in the podcast world uh here heather it's yesterday i was in the middle of the podcast and my sign literally dropped <laughs> i don't have a ring light i have a friend who keeps begging to give me a ring light he says i look like i'm in guantanamo bay and i just don't want another damn piece of equipment so you can just put up with it so we both look in a cave that's good i hate the ring light it blinds me as i'm sitting here talking uh, to you it's a, good to know that gives me another excuse to put them on yeah yeah find a, a better side light or under light of some sort but not a ring light i I hate those okay. things. Anyway, uh, getting back to your uh, columns uh, from City Journal on race and crime and counterfactual narrative. Um, you you did you speak about you spoke about what was happening in Kansas City. You outlined the stats beautifully. Uh, you talked about this Imani Perry 
at Princeton University, she uh, she quoted in the Atlantic, uh, the terror and grace of raising black children in the United States. Uh, you know, millions have protested. They quote premature deaths of uh, black innocence. I mean, from academia to the Al Sharptons of the world to the uh, the, the mayor of KC, Quentin Lucas, uh, that is uh, that that have all come out and. They, they all use this race narrative when a black person is involved, despite seeing whites killed in their communities. And where, where did where did this start, Heather? I, I feel like this may have started during Barack uh, Obama's administration, because I feel like I, I, I can almost clearly remember, although I can't recall when, when all of a sudden just speaking of victims went from a victim to a black victim, a white perpetrator. Well, and and the issue is not when there's a black involved, it's when there's a white perpetrator in black. When there's right, black on right, black, right. they do not pay attention. I mean, I have another example in here in in uh March twenty nineteen, uh in uh where was it? Atlanta, there was a black on black doorbell tr- you know, mistaken apartment shooting. And the Times reports that without mentioning the race of either, and the original reporting in Atlanta didn't mention the race of either. So it's only one particular kind. I would say this has been going on for a while. I remember in the 1990s, Carl, when uh, newspapers stopped printing the race of criminal suspects who were still at large mm, okay. uh, because they were so disproportionately black. And that was really a, a violation, I think, of some kind of public duty, because if, if there's a criminal who's still at large, you want the public to know sure. all available relevant information uh, about him and the press decided, no, we're not going to give the public that information because we don't want them to, they would say, have a false impression. But in fact, it's a correct impression, sadly, of who's committing urban street crime. Uh, and and so the the type of of concealment that is going on now is a long time coming, but it certainly did exacerbate under under Obama. And then after the George Floyd race riots, the, the country simply lost its mind over phantom racism. And we saw the police back off in 2020, the largest single year increase in homicide in this nation's history, 29% increase in homicide in one year. And the victims, again, have overwhelmingly been black. Uh, but nobody cares because their perpetrators are also black. You could remove, I mean, you could remove all police shootings of black men and all white shootings of black men and you would have almost no effect on the black death by homicide rate. Man. These are side issues, absolute side issues. In 2021, there were about eight so-called unarmed blacks who were shot by the police out of a black population of about 40 to 44 million, depending on how you characterize it. And a police officer in 2021 was 400 times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black was to be killed by a police officer. So everything we think we know about crime and policing and race from the mainstream media is wrong. And as long as we continue these lies, more black lives are going to be taken. Let me uh, I know you got to go here, Heather, but let me ask you to just uh, just speakly, uh, quickly uh, speak on this. You mentioned Kaylin Gillis. 
she got no media attention, hardly at all. Uh, we pulled into the wrong driveway, and she was uh, she was shot, but she was shot by a white man. So uh, uh, no big deal, uh, no big deal there. Uh, you talk about the uh, the the uh, the real story that exists in Kansas City. You really broke the uh, the stats down. I mean, you got very deep. Please go check out this column at City Journal on race and crime: a counterfactual narrative. Uh, but the but the numbers are uh, the numbers are astounding. And now all of a sudden I can't find them. Uh, well, I've got them. I OK, mean, if you want them. I mean, as far as victims, homicide victims, black are 60 percent. There we Last go. Last year, there were 60 percent of black homicide victims, even though they're only 26.5 percent of Kansas City population this year. They've been 75 percent of all victims. So they are being killed at enormously higher rates than their population would predict. But if you look at who's committing homicide uh, among all known homicide suspects, blacks are 72 percent of all homicide suspects, even though they're 26.5 percent of the population and whites are 18 percent of homicide suspects. So what does this mean? It's again, these are difficult facts to talk about, Carl. They make people uncomfortable. But if we have if we call facts racist, we're not going to get to the bottom of this problem. Exactly. It is the case in Kansas City that blacks are nine times as likely to commit homicide as white. So when Ralph Yarl, a good law, you know, it looks like a law-abiding teenager, as we said, showed up at Andrew Lester's house. If if Lester did feel more concern that a tall black teenager was there than he would have at a white teenager, it's very tragic for Ralph Yarl what happened. And this is a heartbreaking uh, shooting. And thank heavens, it looks like Yarl is going to survive but it would not have been statistically irrational on Lester's part to be more concerned about a black teen than a white teen, given the massive disparities in criminal offending. And we go around pretending that only racism is responsible for the types of judgments that people make about crime risk when those judgments are in fact based on actual disparities in criminal offending. And the solution to people making those judgments and saying, I'm going to be more worried is, you know, at the point, at this point, we all cue Jesse Jackson saying that he was, he feels relieved if it's white kids walking behind him on a dark street rather than black kids. The solution to those types of judgments is to bring the crime rate down. It's not to bash the people who are drawing the logical inference from facts as racist. Absolutely. And man, I, it's so well said. It, you speak of interracial violence too. I, I, I know you have to go, uh, but uh, man, I, guys, please just 87%, 87% blacks commit 87% of all interracial violence between blacks and whites and whites on blacks. So I have a list in my article of the things to do while white that are put you at risk, you know, jogging while white, uh, shopping while white, Parking your car well white, riding your bike well white. These are all things that have resulted in serious assault or death uh, on the part of whites at the hands of black perpetrators that never get talked about uh, because it doesn't fit the narrative. The the driving well black or the knocking on the door well black. Yes, all of those incidents where an innocent black victim is shot or his life is taken 
are heartbreaking. They're terrible. But to pretend that that is the why, the way that blacks die is an utter lie. And our leaders are lying to us, Carl. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's getting more blacks killed. I I, I mean, this is it, it just it drives me crazy. It's literally getting blacks murdered. I know. Black Lives Matter is a fraud. Black Lives Matter is an utter fraud. They do not care about black lives. It's it's I mean, it's empirically provable. They do not care about black lives. And and 10,000 blacks murdered in 2020. How many were protested by the activists? None. God, man, good God, that, that says it all. That that's that's almost a uh, a, a punch to the gut. <laughs> and this Jordan Neely thing. I, I mean, Heather, let, let me just say this. I, I I think what the left is doing is seriously trying to get to a point where they criminalize self defense. Right. Uh, and it's it's my opinion. Uh, uh, Jordan Neely, uh, he would be alive were it not for uh, uh, Alvin Bragg. Uh, the policies of the New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Uh, yep. I call her the nanny of New York, Kathy Hochul. Uh, yep. If it weren't for those three, it's my opinion that Jordan yep. Neely would be alive, perhaps medicated in a jail cell somewhere. Right. Um, but he'd be alive, in my opinion. Right. This is not a race issue. It is a failure of government. You, the, the, the vagrancy problem is solvable. It's solvable. You enforce the law. You say you are not allowed to camp out on streets. You're not allowed to colonize public space. Here in New York City, we are mandated by a court to provide shelter to anybody who asks on demand. You don't get to have it both ways. You don't mm. get an entitlement to shelter and yet get to turn it down and and colonize public space, threaten people. We've had so many subway sh- subway pushings where people are pushed onto tracks by high, mentally ill vagrants, assaulted in subways, shot. There's no reason to put up with this. It is, it, But the government has what I call the great inversion, whether it's in California or New York. It puts the so-called interests and rights of the criminal and the deviant ahead of those of the law-abiding and the hardworking. And, and the people that are trying to work get to their jobs safely, have their children go to school. They are at the bottom of the pecking order of government attention. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.